He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Well, our business editor, Giles Beckford, is... Racing he is not here yet. The, you know yeah. what? He's not. He's not here. I'm sure. Here he comes. He's rushing. Oh, he's rushing across the studio. Oh goodness! Floor. I wonder if something's happened. He's getting. Well, this is no, the I very, very latest off the press because <laughs> he hasn't even arrived. That was RNZ's business editor Giles Beckford being lightly teased by Morning Report's co-host last Monday for being a little late with his early update, though not by much. So no big deal. But what is a big deal at the moment? AI. Okay, what about your main bulletin? Well, uh, we're looking artificial at, intelligence. It, yeah. It's everywhere, isn't it? And uh, recent investment analysts are suggesting that there are big uh, potential returns for investors in AI. And maybe in the future, AI-presented business news will always be on time. Now, AI is indeed huge news in business right now, and this week, Newsroom, with the help of a commercial sponsor, launched a new podcast series all about it in New Zealand called AI Harnessing the Speed of Change. It seems artificial intelligence has moved forward at such dizzying speed over the last year, it's rarely out of the news. And it's mostly bad news. And one of those industries working out what it stands to win or lose is our media. Generative AI technology products generate text, images and audio automatically when prompted by people and the most powerful of the applications are already crawling all over the news media for its input. Google, for example, already does that these days but when you search, their algorithm gives you choices whereas AI-powered Search Generative Experience, or SGE, responds to your requests with a single response which is supposed to be reliable and factual. Earlier this year, though, Gordon Krovitz, the founder of the US-based fake news-finding service NewsGuard, told me that the chatbots aren't that good at it yet. These AI models will create highly persuasive, well-written radio scripts or newspaper articles um, that are written beautifully, perfect grammar, eloquent, and completely false. And the machines don't know the difference unless they're trained. But the same AI tools extracting useful stuff from our news media can also be pretty handy for them in gathering and publishing the news and producing it digitally. Local subscriber service Business Desk, for example, already creates articles in seconds from basic info from the Stock Exchange. And next week we'll look at how our biggest publishers of news are confronting and embracing AI as well. But before all that, what can AI really do for and with media content. Well, that was the focus of the AI Plus Communication Symposium held at the Auckland University of Technology this week. And among the experts in their field, AUT's senior lecturer in journalism, Dr Maria Mililati, showed how the popular AI tools aren't really that great yet at giving you New Zealand news results. There were no links to Radio New Zealand. There were no links to the TVNZ. Newsroom, no links. The spin-off, the Otago Daily Times... The Guardian, which has a New Zealand section. So then I asked Google Bard. It most often linked to the sources, but the links go to the wrong sources, wrong stories, or random articles. Well, another part of the media adopting AI for content creation is the ad business. And at the AUT Summit this week, lecturer Daniel Fastnedge, formerly an ad agency art director, used DALI 2 to blend images of a lion and a bat to advertise a car, mimicking a recent successful ad campaign from South Africa. Better than Photoshop on steroids, he said, but probably bad news for other graphic specialists in the business. Traditionally, creating images like that would have involved uh, an art director, 
a creative director, a designer, a retoucher, and possibly teams that went with them. That could have taken days, weeks, even months to get it to the finished product, project. We don't have to employ photographers that we would have previously to create a campaign. Great, I can do things a lot faster, but I'm also going to be expected to do them a lot faster. A job which would have taken a couple of days previously, now I'm expected to do it in a matter of 20, 30 minutes. And is that a viable and a sustainable practice? Now, this sort of creative power is also of interest to brands who find themselves these days at the mercy of precocious influencers who promote their products but sometimes bring their brands into disrepute. And the AUT's Petra Tunison showed us how corporates use AI to create flawless and scandal-free virtual influencers. Are they authentic? You know, what is authenticity? Are they transparent? Because... We don't know who actually creates these. Models will disappear. They won't have jobs anymore because this will be cheaper. They also don't have to go on a diet. They can eat, as you can see, burgers and never gain an ounce. And similar things are happening in music these days too. AI apps can create compositions and there's even an AI to fake the voice of Johnny Cash for cover versions. <laughs> I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Now there's stacks of that sort of stuff on TikTok and elsewhere already. But who owns it? Is it even really music? And do we care? Well, the AUT's Peter Hoare has been pondering that, and we'll ask him about it in a minute. But blurring virtuality and reality like this is really not on for news. And AUT researcher Hayley Jones has studied how technology is affecting our news gathering and our journalistic practice here and now in New Zealand. Firstly, it's really important to recognise that journalists still draw from the full range of resources to gather news. They're still making phone calls and conducting interviews and writing emails, um, going to location and, and speaking to witnesses. Using algorithmic search tools is just one of the news gathering um, or, uh, tools that journalists use algorithms behind the search tools have become an intermediary between journalists and their sources of news. And it's important to try and understand how these algorithms shape the news selection process because Google's a commercial entity. It doesn't operate to the same sort of civic responsibilities that the journalism industry operates to. Um, you actually spent a couple of weeks, didn't you, effectively looking over the shoulder of RNZ journalists in, in the newsroom in Auckland. I, I guess you found that Google's just about the first place they go when they need to look up a, a fact or a contact or something? Yeah, correct. But I observe journalists using uh, Google to do simple things like fact-checking, um, you know, finding basic information about a person or a location, um, to more complex searches to gather data. So investigative journalists engaging in what I've been calling a game of search, where they search for a term, then they conducted the search again, they added a word, they changed a word, um, they added the file type um, in order to try and essentially coax um, the information out of Google's algorithm. Journalists have to conduct multiple Google searches, both successfully and unsuccessfully, in order to get the algorithm to provide information to, uh, to the right format and in the right context. This didn't always work. So journalists, um, I found, went straight to official sources of information like ministry websites and Statistics New Zealand, for example, 
and this was an issue mentioned across Radio New Zealand Newsroom, that journalists find these websites really difficult to navigate um, because the data is somewhat buried within the site or indexed really poorly. So it makes it really difficult to search for using both Google search and also um, those individual search tools within those different websites. A few journalists mentioned that they wished that there was a search tool that just simply searched uh, through information from official sources or from websites that they perhaps have nominated themselves, um, or alternatively, save them time from scrolling through all those different government websites in order to try and find the information that they needed. You've actually highlighted there's something that might be really different when AI technology becomes more ubiquitous. When you do a Google search, you get all these indexed results and you pick through, you choose the ones that look right or look like they might have what you need. Whereas if you give a simple voice prompt, you ask the AI chatbot to find you something, you'll get one summary, a bunch of so-called facts. But as we know, they're scraping a range of news sources and not always the best ones. So if journalists who have this kind of Google dependency, if we can call it that, end up using AI in that way, it might limit and cut out the sorts of sources they they really need to find? Potentially. I spent time at Radio New Zealand in September 2022 and ChatGPT wasn't launched until November 2022. So I think it would be really interesting to come back into a newsroom like Radio New Zealand and observe how journalists are using ChatGPT and and chatbots and it'd be really interesting to see how journalists are interacting with that technology. Uh, I think that one of your slides said little Risk. evidence of automation-induced <laughs> damage, which sounded pretty uh, positive. But yeah. if we are getting our news from AI summaries because we're lazy and it's, it's so simple in the future and substandard news sources are being scraped, people are already warning about this. Uh, and if journalists start using these tools, this, this will be something to be concerned about, won't it? But that finding in our research, it's more to do with the fact that algorithmic search tools that journalists use in their news gathering process is caught up in journalism's really strong professional ideology, values serving the public interest and immediacy and being objective and having autonomy. Journalists generally are quite inquisitive and sceptical people. So we're not at the stage where AI is going to completely automate um, the news gathering process or replace journalists. Journalists as well seem to be very aware of the issues and drawbacks associated with algorithmic search tools. For example, the fact that I observed journalists scrolling through pages and pages and pages of Google search results show that they're not just being blindly led by whatever Google thinks is relevant to their research. So they're viewing these results with the knowledge that it is driven by a commercially driven algorithm. And Google's also been testing a product that uses AI uh, to create news stories, and they've been um, pitching it to news organisations in the US, uh, including the Washington Post and the New York Times as well. So Google's really clearly interested in creating tools that journalists will use. And on one hand, this is great because the tools they're using help journalists work more efficiently. But on the other hand, Google is a commercial entity. Um, They include paid search results or ads at the top of their search results. Um, Mind you, they are labelled as such, but I've spoken to a journalist um, who said that they are often tripped up by these advertisements. Websites appear higher that have been optimised through SEO and, and things like that. So there's also a risk to organisations who depend on these external search tools because they may not fully understand them. And Google changes its algorithm 500 to 600 times a year. Um, So news organisations who use it as a news gathering tool have to constantly respond to it, which is where I think um, is where journalists need to have a really strong digital archive literacy. Well, Peter, if I could bring you in at this point, we also heard at the symposium from people doing 
what we might call the creative industry, so visual effects, filmmaking, uh, advertising, and you yourself spoke about music. So there the discussion was whether AI tools become more than just a tool, they become kind of a creative collaborator, part of the creative process. Is that how you see the distinction? Yeah, this idea, algorithms, the AI softwares, they can take a lot of the grunt work that you need to do. I mean, like in music, for example, mixing, mastering, all that sort of stuff. There is an art to it, you know, Phil Spector, but (laughs) it's also incredibly time-consuming and quite routine. There's a kind of line here that, you know, what is labour, what is creativity, where do humans fit in? And there is this thing at the centre, it's the usual human fear that we'll be supplanted um, AI will do things better than we can. It won't be real journalism. It won't be real art. And if you're a musician or or someone involved, it's not just you're sitting in the studio and mixing. It'll write your press releases. It'll do all that sort of stuff, which can be fairly tedious. And perhaps some people, they're musicians, for heaven's sakes. They're not so good at that, you know. So funnily enough, just in February, I think it was this year, um, Colin Malloy from the indie band Decemberus, he he asked ChatGP to generate a song back in February spat out a thing called Sailor's Song, which is a kind of folky type thing. Not a very good song, shall we say. He didn't think much of it, what the A had come up, come up with. Now, there was a collaborative process, and I can see a lot of that happening. Um, things like um, Boomy will generate bits of music. So, so I see it opening up, you know, a lot of creativity for people. In your talk, right at the start, you said the age of manufacture is over oh. in the music business, and now it's all about rights protection. That's the primary focus of the music industry. Is that partly because of these sorts of tools? If you look back over the last hundred years, the music industry, when they started, you know, they owned the machines that made the records, they owned the studios, they owned the warehouses, they took care of the shipping and all that. And over the years, they've backed away from those processes which they can outsource. Their core business has basically always been keeping track of copyrights, owning copyrights. I don't think it's going to be a problem because it's a corporate issue. Corporates will call in lawyers. Lawyers will sort things out. We'll have new laws. Every piece of tech that came along was so cassettes, records, films, all this stuff. They create new legal issues. They're perfectly resolvable. Yeah, you mentioned in your talk, you said the music industry has proven pretty good at protecting its rights when new technologies developed down the years. But Hayley, just thinking about this in terms of journalism, the AI chatbots are scraping for news, big names in news, uh, taking new new measures to prevent uh, the the software of the chatbots crawling over their content and scraping it up because there's value in that in journalism, isn't there, for the the AI spitting it back out to customers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, back when the internet first came along, uh, journalism sort of gave away a lot of its intellectual property for free by putting journalism online for free. Um, So I think we're seeing a bit of like a a pushback, I think, from the journalism industry in in terms of striking deals with AI programs. It's, It's going to be very interesting to see how AI and journalism interact over the next uh, five to ten years or so. Um, but, there, yeah, there are definitely opportunities, I think, for journalism to strike deals with the likes of um, OpenAI, for example, in order to allow audiences to access their journalism, but in a way that's fair to them as well. And, Peter, you mentioned in your talk there's things like so-called new Charlie Parker music being created with these tools. There's the infamous sort of uh, fake Drake recordings, I think. We've heard the kind of wretched Folsom Prison Blues Johnny Cash reworking of Barbie Girl and all sorts of other stuff. You made the point that the ownership of this is really far from clear in a lot of cases because is it Charlie Parker or Johnny Cash's IP or their estate? Uh, No one really knows, right? So should we expect a lot more of this, this kind of new type of content, which is music-like, and yet we don't really know 
whose it is or who really created it. Well, exactly. If, if I mean, if you if you take an old song, a, a recording, say, made in 1910, AI can make it sound like it was made yesterday, which which is absolutely fantastic, and it's quite clear who owns that. You know, that's that's not going to be an issue. After after all, if if you take the characteristics that make Charlie Parker's music as an example, you can turn it into an algorithm. You can generate the sounds. So we'll have something which sounds like Charlie Parker does the things that Charlie Parker did because we can do that. Um, someone on TikTok uh, wrote a song and then used sort of AI Drake vocals, um, you know, to sing the song. So it sounded like Drake singing this total unknown person's song. Got, oh, millions, millions of hits on TikTok. It was huge. Now, the United, the record company, shut it down. And it's not quite clear on what kind of basis they did. They knew they didn't like it. The sort of thing shouldn't be happening because Drake is one of their artists. But Drake didn't write the song. Drake didn't actually sing on it, so I, I think I used the phrase, are they trying to copyright the essence of Drakeness here? Is this what they're trying to do? You know, so There is a lot of money involved, and I think that, of course, as ever with um, corporate ownership of culture and art, is going to make the real difference. And What might the, all this mean, Peter, for the broadcasting of music? You know, We have radio stations with a lot invested in their brands and their output and their styles and their on-air talent and all of that. But right now, as we already know, an individual can set up an entire instant station. There's outfits in the States you can go online and say, look, you know, program me a, an R&B type station for an urban audience. They'll send you playlists. You know, they'll even create the branding and so on for a station. Does it mean that in the end, the radio industry will be changed hugely by this? The radio industry as such has has a lot of problems right now. Um, the biggest one, I do, you know, the latest uh, report from NZ On Air about where the audiences are, which, OK, has its problems, etc., etc. But it was pointing at these trends which are purely demographic. Ageing people are listening to radio, and even then they're starting to leave it because they've got the hang of streaming. Yeah, streaming uh, up to 50% daily usage, the way yeah. the audience's report uh, says. Almost as many people use Spotify every day, that's a yeah. one, at one in three, as, um, as listen to the radio, which is 39%, and that's way down from what it was just under 10 years ago when the first of these reports came out. Yeah, there are AI radio stations happening already um, in the States. I've listened to a few of them. But, yeah, they sound like commercial radio. And, if you're getting the music you want and you're getting the person saying the things you want to hear, then that's probably successful commercial radio. And if a machine can do it, well, why should you care? That, this is what gets me about this stuff. You know, um, a lot of processes in radio, the routine stuff, that'll get sped up just amazingly. I mean, if you can get ChatGP to write an essay, it can probably write a 30-second ad. As for the industry itself, yeah, this this could be a bit of a crunch, but because of all the digital changes that have gone on in terms of social media, in terms of streaming, in terms of individualising everything around us, you know, the so-called bubble habit, perhaps radio as an industry may need to think about, and I'm thinking commercial radio here, may need to think much harder about what it actually does and why it's doing it. Yeah, and there's a lot of technological determinism going on when people talk about this. You know, AI will destroy the world. AI will save the world. And AI is a technology. You know, that's all it is. We come to it with all our ideologies, our attitudes, our fears, and all this sort of stuff. And when we put that word intelligence in there, we straight away anthropomorphize, and we're going, "Oh goodness me, it's watching me. The thing's got feelings." I don't know. Consciousness, you know, it's the hardest problem in philosophy. We we don't make a lot of progress, and and so we're granting this sort of idea of consciousness and self awareness to AI to some degree, which at this point, it 
doesn't you know it doesn't have yeah that, um, that's why it feels intrinsically weird when you we saw for example people in the advertising business there last Wednesday at the event you know demonstrating it saying it, it's getting to the point where it's almost a collaborator in the creative process mm. and that seems weird because oh, we're just talking about software yeah, um, yeah, yeah that's all it is yeah where, where, where is the agency from the software side of that I mean I used the phrase collaboration before but only in the sense of it's like having a handy butler who gives you the right thing at the right moment just with you know it's a Jeeves you know it's it's got the right answer. It's got the uh, the right thing. It won't solve your love life. Maybe it will. I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, as I say, we, we, you know, we naturally just kind of uh, grant this kind of intelligence and sentience, even and, and kind of awareness to this to the software, because that's how we tend to work with things. You know, we do it with animals, uh, non-human animals as well. But they they would be more self-aware than than any piece of AI. You know, a cockroach is more self-aware than an AI. Um, if, if we're going to do that, so so I think this is part of the problem too is the very language we use, which has all these presuppositions built into it, and it can make the conversation, you know, it, it could easily trail off into oh my god the world is ending or oh my god here comes paradise, and neither of those two options are terribly realistic, I think. Yeah, and I mean AI in the journalism space as well, it's still very limited. I mean, mm. they're working to templates essentially, they're filling yeah. out templates and fill, yeah filling it in, and that's that's the extent. I mean, Business Desk for example is using AI at the moment. They just recently launched it to turn their NZX results into really basic news stories. So essentially it's just filling in that template. In journalism anyway, from that perspective, as long as you're being transparent around the use of AI, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, just watch the labelling on the can. Watch the labelling. <laughs> and, and it's interesting too because it's kind of different with an art form because a lot of the music we hear, you know, is, is fairly derivative. It's a pattern that works, you know. So when you use the software, it's what we really want. I'll, I'll respect AI. When it starts putting grit into things, when it starts making wayward decisions, and it, you, you go to turn on and says, "Nah, can't be bothered today." You know, okay, now, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. now we're dealing with with something that we could possibly call intelligent. Exactly. But, but are that's, we going that's the to opposite see it? of your yeah. butler, isn't yeah. it? No, yeah, exactly. No, not doing it. <laughs> not the surly butler. I'm tired. There's plenty of those in Woodhouse too. Yeah. So. yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it does have this wider impact in the media. And Haley, in terms of news and, and journalism, we heard. Um, AUT lecturer in communications, Justin Matthews, at the symposium on Wednesday, he said, look, when people get used to searching and asking, requesting, prompting AI tools for information rather than searching in the way they have done online till now, uh, you won't be directed to websites of news organisations and things like that. Websites might just virtually cease to exist. It's just bits of content that are out there that can be aggregated into summaries on demand for people. That would be a huge change, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But these tools will still have to draw that information from somewhere. I think we'll have to see some kind of symbiotic relationship between these tools and, and journalism organisations or journalism websites because these tools will still have to get their information from journalism organisations. I mean, news organisations are also experimenting with chatbots themselves. Um, for the example that springs to mind is in Australia, um, their public broadcaster, the ABC, um, has been experimenting with a chatbot and they found that their chatbot was able to um, reach audiences that they had never previously interacted with ABC before. So there are opportunities there for news organisations to use these tools as well in order to provide news um, to their audience. And Peter, what about in the area of music and broadcasting and or the radio 
industry. I mean, radio to me isn't just tech. It's not just transmission mass. That's one definition. But it isn't. It's people, relationships, organisations. And, you know, humans have a need to do this. And I think people will still find organisations, which we might call radio, which are still sending things out, transmission, and are still doing stuff online, still doing AI uh, to help get their messages and entertainment out. And I think people will, will respond to these things. But my main worry is there's a bubble of things you only want, you know, especially when we're dealing with, with art, like music or something like that. You know, the, you don't want the familiar. The, the recording industry thrives on that. Here's more of the same. You'll love it. But in a way, you know, for the art itself to keep moving, we need to have all sorts of different things going on. I'm sure an algorithm can be written which will generate friction and grit and make things interesting, and we wouldn't be able to tell. I think creative people will have more options. The... Recording industry may see a glut of music as being a problem too because, you know, too much of a good thing. Um, it's very hard to say exactly how we're going to incorporate this into our lives. You know, if we think an AI can do art, then what exactly can humans do that is so interesting or special? That's a bit of, our blow, a, bit of a blow to us, and, you know, we're used to being the centre of things. That's why we exploit the world. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think I, I use the line, you know, whatever happens with AI, at least we'll have plenty of music to fiddle with while the world burns. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know if we talk about the private industry, we're, we're going to talk about profit, but when we talk about public, we're dealing with ideologies about what we think society needs in terms of information. You know, if public broadcasting or public AI or this public media thingy we're talking about, as long as it keeps to those principles, that the way it's using AI or whatever it's using its technology for, I, I, I think it's going to be important that we keep those principles and ideas strong. Yeah, and will, will we all end up kind of doing our own Turing test on things and if, if media don't disclose that AI was involved in its creation, are we going to be sitting there going, yeah, that sounds like a machine did that? Yeah, I, I don't think it'll matter a damn. I mean, if the song makes you cry and laugh and sing, it's done its job. You know, it doesn't matter if an algorithm wrote it. The humans wrote the algorithm if that's important to you. But and when it comes to art and that sort of thing, as long as it has the effect on you, does it really matter how it was made? That's a really fascinating question, I think, and we're probably going to find out over the next few years. That was Senior Lecturer in Communication Studies at the AUT, Peter Hoare, and we also heard from AUT researcher Hayley Jones earlier on. And both of them addressed the AI Plus Communication Symposium at AUT this week.